Thanks, everyone, for joining the Price Law Podcast. Today is January 25th, 2023. I'm super excited because we're here with, of course, Ben and Mike from Price Law, but Scott from Spin. Scott Dicker, uh, we both spoke at Supply Side West uh, on the Sports Nutrition, uh, what was it, Regrowth and Rebound panel. And we had a really awesome discussion. And afterwards, we were just like, we got to keep doing some other stuff. So uh, super excited to have you on the podcast. I'd like to start off with maybe a little bit of an intro of like where you come from and how, you know what you do at, exactly at Spins, and we can kind of take it from there. Yeah, thanks so much. I uh, really appreciate you having me on. It was a great panel at, at Supply Side, but it was never long enough when we talk about sports nutrition. So really excited to continue the, the conversation. Although I have to say right off the bat, you are the person who kind of ruined my intro because I was I was making the point that everyone, average Joes, were using sports supplements and you were the one who raised your hand of professional athletes that use it. <laughs> so uh, I usually got a, an empty room, but I forgive you for that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, just to, to introduce myself, my name is Scott Dicker. I'm the uh, Market Insights Director for SPINS. If you're not familiar with SPINS, we're a leading uh, insights provider. Uh, it's mainly specializing in the natural and organic space, so a lot of uh, grocery grocery space, but we've expanded to involve all of the conscious consumers. So that involves health and wellness, a lot of sustainability things. We work with a lot of retailers, provide insights for both brands and retailers all across the grocery store. Uh, so that includes supplements, includes sports supplements, of course, as well as, you know, your grocery, your frozen, your produce section, your refrigerated, even pet and natural beauty. I've been with Spins for, you know, a little over six years now. I started actually on the product intelligence side. So that's how, you know, taking a look at how we see the market. So, you know, categorizing the products and also what type of attributes to provide the insights for. So that that goes on, you know, what constitutes a clean label? How do label claims impact sales? What functional ingredients are trending where? And so I spent four years managing an insights team uh, for our product intelligence team. And then I moved over to marketing and I do a lot of our thought leadership and uh, insights around, uh, in, around the entire market. Uh, but what I'm really excited about, my background prior to SPINS is, is in sports nutrition. I studied nutritional science and nutritional chemistry in school. I worked as a sports nutritionist uh, for a little while. I actually opened up uh, my own uh, small health food store for a little bit in Chicago. And so sports nutrition is really my passion here. And so it's, it's great to you know, connect with you guys. I follow your content for a while. So again, really great to be on the pod. I'm super excited about this because uh, you use the word thought leadership and it uh, it, it validates me so much because I've been using the, that phrase for a little bit because I hate the influencer word. You know, I, I consider that to be like a four letter I word. Um, but thought leadership is really what I I, I feel that we do and, and I'm passionate about what we do. Um, and then a lot of times we'll kind of uh, not only make claims about things that we've seen happen. Um, like we talked about the rise of collagen and we had a really great call this week about like, has there actually been a rise of collagen or do we just see collagen? Because, you know, Mike and I see, we, we scrape the internet for a lot of data, but, you know, it's like out of stocks, uh, new products, like, like uh, you know, where it lives, but not very frequently do we get to see hard data on how much is selling, how frequently it's selling, stuff like that. So to get to chop it up with you and actually see some hard data is really cool. My first um, interaction with spins or not even interaction was the first time I, I heard about you is because mostly because of your working with uh the vitamin shop um which i know we have to say today like that we're not gonna be sharing data especially stuff with like exclusive relationships with vitamin shop you, you told us but uh for people inside the industry spins data is a really uh 
I, I, it, it kind of takes away any sort of perception that you can put out there. It tells the absolute truth. Like we know who's top at vitamin shop and it's, it's, it's a, it's a leaderboard that oftentimes is flexed a little bit within the industry. And so it's exciting to talk to someone who actually sees the truth on all of this stuff. Um, so I don't really have any questions to start off. I'm, I've been so excited for this podcast because like, I'm just excited to talk about everything in general, but I guess if Mike, if you don't have any specific questions. Well, I, so yeah, just to back it up. I mean, the reason we, we contact this guy right after his, your presentation, we're like, Hey, we got to get this guy on the podcast. But, um, I, I hit you up specifically to give me a quote regarding collagen sales. Cause we're writing an article on collagen and I just had a quick bullet point. Like I basically said, Hey, everyone's seen the rise of collagen lately. And I was like, I'm kind of making a claim that I really can't cite. And I like citing lots of sources, you know? So I was like, I'm pretty sure this is right, but how about we get to the authoritative source to show us that, yeah, there has actually been a rise in collagen, um, not only like uh, dollar value sales because there has been inflation, but also be, you know, like unit sales and everything. So we had a good talk with you and you did provide us a, a pretty good quote and a little bit of data. I don't know if you want to repeat that or anything, um, but in general, and this wasn't just at like one particular place, it's in general, a lot of Amazon data, especially you have seen that. So we might as well just jump in there and then like, then we'll dial it back to uh, talk about other trends going on and just chit chat. Yeah, absolutely. And collagen, you know, I admitted this to you guys on our last call, and I'll, I'll admit it in front of in front of your full audience. <laughs> I was wrong on collagen a few years ago. I thought it was going to be more more of a fad than a trend. It has really proven to be the opposite. It's it's a trend in the industry. It's really benefiting, and I, I believe I'm just looking at it it up. It's up over 20% you know, over the last 52 weeks in cross-channel. So that's the uh, multi-outlet plus the natural channel. And it's a little, it's kind of flat on Amazon, but you know, most things are, are kind of flat on Amazon. We could get into that that uh, a little bit, not not because people are stopping shopping on Amazon, just uh, that obvious caveat, but because of the huge growth that we've seen the past couple of years, things are kind of uh, returning to baseline. And so collagen is, is a really cool one. One, there, there's a lot of great brands out there that are really doing a good job, both in the education and the uh, and in the marketing of it. You know, Vital obviously, you know, is is atop the leaderboard. But there's also brands like you know, Garden of Life has a great collagen product, uh, Ancient Nutrition, and so you're seeing it. It's really benefiting from increased distribution and even increased distribution within a store. So like I walked in, I walk into Target, I see vital proteins in like the cosmetic section. And so this is, this gives, especially in brick and mortar, this gives collagen the opportunity to hit customers who are never walking in that protein powder aisle. And so collagen, because of the, uh, the multiple ways it can be marketed, really, uh, really, you know, the sky is the limit for the growth of it because people are taking it for beauty. People are taking it for hair, skin, and nails, which we know are, are segments that have been popular for a while. And now you're also catching, you know, the the athletic uh, audience from it for joint health. Uh, I know there there needs to be a little more education because some people are taking it like it's a, a protein powder for recovery, and that's probably not the best use for it. Uh, but pe nevertheless, people are still taking it for that. Uh, so, so collagen, you know, it, it's an ingredient that's, that came to market, you know, with a boom and it's, it's not going to grow at this rate forever, of course, but I think the baseline is set and we can be confident that it's going to be, you know, an ingredient that's going to drive sales for, for a long time. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. So within the collagen segment, I'm guessing you have even more data. Like is, uh, is it wrong to assume it's mostly women? 
Or do you have like a percent breakdown on any of that? I don't have the consumer data in front of me, uh, so I don't want to speak out of turn. Okay. I, I, I would, my, my guess would be that that's correct, that you're having the majority of, of consumers being women. But you guys have been around the industry a long time. You know that collagen used to be sold in like two gram servings as beauty collagen. And so that was exclusively for women. And really the rise, and I'm going to credit it to Vital, but I apologize if I'm missing someone else, but selling it more as like a, a protein powder uh, and, and positioning it, you know, as, you know, something that can be help your joints and not just, you know, make your skin look better. That really opened the door for the new audience in the same way that the performance nutrition category in general is, has been seen so much growth largely due to the increased audience for women. I think for collagen, it's largely due to the increase of, you know, the active nutrition space, as well as, as this, you know, selling it more in bulk and not in these, in these half gram pills or, you know, these little tinctures that, uh, you know, we can we can talk right. about the the value of those uh, products or not, but I think you know the repositioning it into something that's more familiar with people has been really beneficial for for the collagen makers in general. Right. So let's say that I so let's talk about Spins, uh, the company you work for, and like you have a ton of data. Obviously, we have we have a lot of data. You have a ton of data, and so let's say I'm a brand, and I'm I, I you know I have a product line. We don't have a collagen product yet. Everyone's put out a collagen product. Would I like work with you and to see like where the right demographic is, or like what what claims have been made on collagen? Maybe like what there's what's missing like do you have that information on like can you help brands or is it mostly you're just helping retailers with stuff we work with thanks first of all thank you for asking that was not a planted question it was um, not but, no i'm but i, I i'm, I'm kind of getting curious like who's your customer like yeah so we work both with brands with retailers uh and you know we we work with them we get their pos data in exchange you know we we provide also product intelligence so they can identify white spaces they know what brands to bring in they know what's trending you know a great example is if they know that you know, through our product intelligence, they sell a lot of keto products. And then they look in their baking mixes and they have no keto products. Uh, that here's a great opportunity to bring in some keto pancake mixes or, or whatever it is. Um, but we also work a lot with brands. And so, you know, if you're a brand out there and you're trying to get into any specific retailer, whether it be, you know, Vitamin Shop, Vitamin World, Thrive Market, um, or like a natural grocery store like Sprouts, you want to speak the common language with them. Uh, so you want to understand, you know, to Ben's point earlier, one, how are you really doing in their store? Because uh, they have the data. So, you know, there's a joke that everyone's number one and uh, yeah. everyone goes to their retail meeting. They're the number one, this or that or that when they apply enough filters on it. But the retailers, they have the data source. They usually have their own hierarchies or they use the spins hierarchy. Um, but we work with a lot of brands to, to help them get into retail and to and to for product innovation as well. So we can tell you, uh, you know, when we look at collagen products, you know, what what label claims make it sell more, what uh, protein content in it sells more, you know, or, you know, what types of products out there? Is, are there, is there an opportunity to make a bar that has, that has collagen in it as a pro, as opposed to a powder? Is that, is that kind of where the white space on the market is? And so we really help you know, you know, what type of label claims, what kind of, we, we have a great sweetener, um, a suite of attributes. So we know how you're sweetening the products. Does that impact sales in a certain category? 
Are you using sugar? Are you using other natural sweeteners? Are you using artificial sweeteners? Do people care in that category? Uh, because the answer is, is different for uh, pre-workouts than it is for superfood powders or for cereal, just for example. And so, you know, we work with brands, one, to help them identify how to best position the attributes that are inherent to their products, but also to find white spaces and innovate for their new product development as well. So when you say that you work with companies so they can understand this, if if someone has a membership or, you know, whatever, has a subscription. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, subscription to spins. Are they given a uh, key point of contact to go through for all this? Is anyone just have a subscription just to look at numbers just because they want the numbers? It's different levels of subscription. So some people just buy data. Uh, we also have a great uh, group of consultants, uh, you know, that you can add to your add to your package as well. Uh, different category packages, different attribute packages. Uh, everyone, you know, will have like a, a customer success rep, a sales rep that can help them answer certain questions and then certain advanced things like we help, uh, you know, through our customer insights managers. Uh, that's that uh, is offered to a lot of brands. Uh, you know, we can do like things like what's the best pricing model for, for your product? Are you priced too high? Are you priced too low? Can you increase your price 10% in or without losing velocity? Uh, so we can do like price elasticity studies for, for these brands. And so, so there's a lot to do. Uh, again, it, it depends on like every other business. It depends on the package and subscription uh, that's being purchased. Uh, but yeah, we, we really help these brands. You know, we are, again, our, our focus and our core is health and wellness and natural and organic. Uh, increasing that presence of them in, in the world. So, you know, if you want to get into these retailers again, uh, you know, we've seen time and time again that, that it's really beneficial to use Spins data for it. So what am I, and this isn't like a very straight question, but it is something I'm very curious about that I'd like to explore. Like when we talked uh, last week about your data versus upcoming trends, there's obviously like, because Mike and I work so close with ingredient providers, we'll know about ingredients that are on their way up before they really kind of make a splash. Uh, I'd love to know about how you guys identify upcoming trends, because obviously it has to get to a certain level before you can start identifying it. For instance, we asked about like NMN is a really big ingredient that we're excited about, but really only like, like maybe half a dozen companies are really moving it. So that's not on spins radar yet. Maybe a better question might be to ask what you see right now as the next big trend or something that is rumbling. But could you tell us a little bit about identifying trends in sports nutrition? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's a great point. And I, I also want to say that it's not that it's not on the radar. It's just not not in the data yet. So yeah. a lot of times it'll take it'll take a few things bubbling up or sometimes you can see it coming uh, before and get it in the data ahead of time. Like we were the first people, you know, that were coding for plant-based items, you know, way before it, it became available. Uh, CBD, we were ahead of the ahead of the game on that as well. And so, a lot of times, what happens is that the trends bubble up in in the natural channel, the specialty channels, uh, before they hit mass market. Uh, so, a lot of times to identify trends, we look at the products that are being that are that are coming into those channels, and you can identify new ingredient new ingredients. Uh, that way, get them in the product intelligence before they hit that mass market. And so a lot of times, you know, either both on, on Amazon is another good one, uh, excuse me, and online, but also then when it comes to brick and mortar retail, it's really the natural channel. These trends happen there first. You're not going to see a novel ingredient launching in the conventional channel, most likely. And so we're able to see it bubble up in these uh, 
these retail channels where a lot of them are exclusive data for us. Um, so that's kind of how we stay ahead of the ahead of the game as far as trends and what's kind of coming next. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I totally agree. I, what we see is um, not as much always specialty. A lot of times you see it direct to consumer now is kind of one of the first spots. And I think that's yeah. one of one of Mike's questions that he really wanted to talk about, too, is like we now have a lot of different channels that might not necessarily be trackable for you. But direct to consumer is obviously one of the gro most growing channels. Because, And do you guys look at that at all? Because that's not something you would have access to, to data to unless they are you know, giving that to you. How has that shifted things for you at all? Um, that's a, uh, that's a great point. You know, a lot of them who are direct to consumer are also selling on Amazon. So as we check that, that's kind of one way, one way to, to get a lens into there. But to your point, you know, a lot of these innovative brands are testing the waters uh, direct to consumer in ways that they really previously weren't able to. I mean, think 10, 15 years ago in the industry, if you didn't get a slot on GNC or Vitamin Shop or, you know, some of the other independents that were, you know, more prevalent a little while ago, it was really hard to get your product out there. And so now, you know, you're able to test the market with those D2C uh, brands. You know, most of them, most brands, I would say, are very limited in the time that they're only direct to consumer on their own website. Uh, they usually head to either Amazon or some other specialty or natural channel fairly quickly once they've kind of established that, yeah, people probably want our products. Uh, so I, I think that time for those brands to be invisible is usually limited. But that being said, I know, you know, some of the most innovative brands are testing things that are a little outside norm that maybe retailers aren't taking a chance on yet uh, on their own websites. So I'd love to see, are, are there certain things that you guys have been seeing? As I know you, you check out a lot of D2C brands. Well, I just think like in the last three years, we've watched uh, brands like Ghost or Glaxon, which are, you know, obviously v uh, Ghost is very partnered with Vitamin Shop, who you guys do exclusive stuff for. And and uh, Glaxon is now a key exclusive partner of GNC. So obviously they are in, in big box, like you're saying, but they started off very heavily direct to consumer because they can control that channel. They can control. I mean, first of all, they're not, you know, giving 30, 40% to it, another company, but they're also going straight to the consumer, they get their emails, they get uh, key data on them that they can, uh, you know, come back to anytime as they want, they can do abandoned carts, they can do all sorts of follow ups. Um, and it's super powerful. And especially like you said, you can test a lot of stuff in that market that they know, you know they're they get to know their consumers, right? Yeah, and you can yeah. leverage that for a very long time. Uh, so it's, I, I love what you're saying because it makes a lot of sense. And even if, you know, 25% of someone's business is at Amazon, you can at least weight that and kind of understand what's going on elsewhere. But a lot of these big brands now, I mean, look at First Form. First Form is not on Amazon. They're not on Vitamin Shop. Or actually, they did a couple key things at Vitamin Shop. But they liked to control their messaging. They like to control their, their community. And they do an incredible job of that. But if you looked at, like, you know, their Amazon, you might think it's kind of disappointing. Yeah, so you'll see that you'll see that for brands always like one channel isn't going to tell the whole story, uh, but they all want to grow in every channel. And so what's really interesting is the strategy. To your point, it's different on their direct consumer. They know who's they know who's coming to their website, who's checking out their socials, what those people are interested in. But is there an opportunity for them to sell to the Walmart customer? 
is there in some of them, you know, to your point, you mentioned a few of the brands, they do something different in store versus, you know, what they offer on Amazon. And so having that ch different channel strategy, uh, you know, to, is really key to maximizing your, maximizing your sales. Now, some brands do a great job in one channel. They're happy with that and they're, they continue to grow at really impressive rates. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Uh, but, you know, the channel specific strategy it, is just... It's just very different, you know, if, if you want to grow out your natural channel or your mass channel or your convenience. We've seen so many of these brands. I know we talked about it briefly. How many of these sports nutrition brands are now in the energy drink space, you know, looking to get into convenience stores and things like that? So it's just a, it's just a different, the different channel strategies are just key for everyone. You know, the same products aren't going to do well in, in Target as they are on your own website always. And so I think it's just understanding what your goals are. Uh, you know, where where do you want to sell? Are you spreading yourself too thin by getting into all of these? So, you know, that distribution strategy is just something that has to be really thoughtful. It's also just a different monster in store. You know, like, uh, for instance, Ghost is testing a completely different sized protein in HEB right now in some small select places, which is super economic for consumers. And if you, if normal uh, consumers who are used to two and five pound proteins walk in and they see like a 1.35 pound protein, it's different and it's odd. But in that channel, that may work incredibly well. And they also are treating their shelves much differently than a GNC would. You know, they're they're keeping them much more tidy. There's this different kind of planogram. You can get different kinds of placements, end caps. Whereas if you walk into a GNC, you're looking at, you know, hundreds of different brands. You walk into an HEB, there's only a few brands and some things are going to jump off the shelf a lot differently. Not only that, but you see that consumers... To your point, they're used to paying a certain price point for protein or I mean, whatever the category we're talking about. It could be pasta or, or sauce, but in, in for, for protein, especially since it's a higher priced product. And so, you know, this is what, you know, you see the industry calls it shrinkflation. Uh, so, you know, they sell it for the same price point, but lower the amount in there. So, you know, you see six packs becoming four packs two pounders becoming, you know, 1.4 or, or whatever it was. And so, but this way the consumers are comfortable pr paying that price for a product. And so there's, there's not as much sticker shock as, you know, if they kept it as a two pounder, but their price increased by 10% or something like that. So that's certainly, you know, we've seen a lot of brands, you know, it's sometimes not always the best for consumers when they get that bag of chips that has you know, 20 less chips in it or, or, or whatever the, uh, the category is, but it's definitely a way to keep, keep customers seeing a price that they've been comfortable paying for a product. Yeah. Well, Mike's brought this up a few times with stick packs. Like I was just going to bring up stick packs. Well, yeah. okay. First off to, to quite, to slightly defend shrinkflation, like, you know, companies got to do what they got to do when the dollar has been beaten down and everything. I will take shrinkflation with the same formula over having the formula disappear and then they bring in that bag of chips with some Franken food, weird and GMO ingredient. That's completely different. Like that, that I think is an abomination. You want, I, I think customers should demand consistency. That's also why we like open formulas and everything. So if shrinkflation is going to be it, then it's going to be it. But yeah. So then um, I was going to ask just in general, if you've seen the trend towards stick packs, we're seeing a lot of that, a lot of it driven by the hydration, put in a water bottle type of market, but we're seeing with a, some other products as well. But then I kind of recently realized, and it was maybe on like Ben's LinkedIn or someone, someone's where I was like, uh, these, these stick packs seem like a 
kind of a crafty way of reintroducing a product that was formerly in a 25 or 30 serving tub into a 20 serving stick pack bag. So I was like, this is a crafty way of doing shrinkflation. I kind of want to call out. It was actually yeah, on so, BMI Sports' uh, LinkedIn. Who, was, who posted that? It was the owner. Anyway, whatever. Right? Okay. So, yeah. But but it's, you're right. It's a great way, but it's it's not just to to make it a, a 20 serving instead of a 30 serving, but it also changes the value proposition. So it's, you know, more portable, uh, mm-hmm. more convenient for people to take places. And over the years, you've seen stick packs have kind of a varying degree of success within categories. It's interesting because I think to your point, hydration, you know, hydration is one you don't really see. Well, I guess you do see them, but they're not as prevalent in like the tubs as a pre-workout tub or a BCA tub or something like that. Although, now that I think about it, there are a few a few big brands that are doing that. Uh, but so so in that sense, it's working well. And but maybe hydration's an outlier because hydration also works well in tabs, and tabs hasn't caught on in a lot of other categories as well. So you see, Noon really, you know, they do a great job with their tabs. And I know they have a, a variety of product lines now, but you know, there's still cores that hydration tab. And so uh, you know, will we see the sticks of of protein powder or pre-workout really, really carve out a large market share. I'm not so sure about that. I probably would say no um, in in the near future. My just my prediction. Uh, but you know, there's when there's certain categories or brands who do it well, that changes the game for everyone, though. I think it's funny because you were saying like you don't really see hydration in tubs as much. Like I love hydration tubs because I work from home. Like it's convenient for me. Yeah. I don't have to worry about it. Stick packs for me. I always make a mess. Like there's always little ripped off ends left somewhere. And it, it's just, it is what it is. I would prefer a tub, but uh, the thing about it is like, if I saw a pre-workout in a stick pack, I'd be like, all right, that's a little bit ridiculous. Like whatever. But in a hydration, like no one bats an eye at all. Like, like, no, that, that totally makes sense for whatever reason. Um, and, and I, and I deal with it because right now, almost every single hydration product that we get is in a stick pack. And I guess it's convenient because I leave them in my gym bag and I always have one with me. I throw them in my bag that I travel with and like, I'll be stuck in like Denver, Colorado on a layover and like, Oh, I, I have this hydration stick. It's, it's, it's awesome. Uh, but overall the actual category of hydration itself is growing really well that we're enjoying as well. And that's one that I wanted to ask you, like, are you seeing that as well? Because sometimes we see things and we're like, oh, this is definitely growing. But we also kind of live in a bit, little bit of an echo chamber where we work so much with specialty and specialty consumers that, you know, the the early adopters that we're with might be purchasing more of it. But one of the things I love about talking with guys like you is like you actually see the big picture. You see the vital proteins, the first forms, the big brands for what they actually do in numbers wise. Yeah, so I'd like to touch on a few of those things. One, you got me thinking. I remember, I remember how you know for pre-workout stick packs, that's how all the samples would come in, at least though. Yeah. And so it just brought me flashbacks of having my water bottle where I couldn't pour in the stick pack, I had to make the a funnel out of like a piece of printer paper, and to to shake it all up in there. So those are some good times to get to try out all the new all the new pre-workouts, even though a quarter of it would land on the ground. And so you're never getting the full <laughs> serving. Although I used to have problems with them. They would always put a serving and a half in those stick packs. So it was impossible to measure, but you would always get a little too much caffeine. Uh, but anyways, uh, shifting back to hydration, you're right. And hydration is one of the ones that we saw, uh, you know, going back to a previous point, we saw that booming on Amazon probably a year and a half ago, and now it's taking off in store. So that's one of the ones where you see it happening online first, and then brick and mortar brings in these product lines. And so I'm just, just checking out the data from, 
uh, you know, from December. So as of December, you know, hydration products in store, cross channel, uh, were up almost 100 percent uh, year over year. So it's it's uh, continuing to find market share. A lot of its new distribution points as well. There's a lot of new products and new brands getting there, but the interest is clearly there. Uh, but I, I also want to add the caveat that it's not only active nutrition people uh, purchasing these. So similar to how collagen really benefited from, uh, you know, the cross merchandising with uh, beauty, hydration, many, many hydration brands are benefiting, benefiting from people drinking them uh, for hangovers and so and kind of recovery that way. And so you see, I do have consumer data on this, actually. And so you see millennials, especially younger millennials, are, are really over indexing it um, in these hydration products. And so some of that, yes, they're working out more. They're being active more. But, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, write off the fact that a lot of them, you know, are drinking that, you know, as kind of recovery from party more so than recovery from from workouts. And so so I, a lot of the, the brands, they're changing their marketing too to not be so sporty. And it's just like hydration on the go, you know, for for whatever for whatever you want. Liquid IV is a great example of that. Yeah, Liquid IV is the stereotypical one that I try not to talk about too much because the amount of sugar they have in there is but uh elements is another one that i i, I look at a lot uh obviously huberman is a sp is sponsored by him so like his podcast gets billions of views and that is always going to drive stuff there uh it, it seems like it is uh, actually getting into the mainstream very well like if i have electrolytes in, in a water i don't get as much of a weird look as i used to if i had a odd colored water in public you know that neon blue water that you know everyone used to walk around and uh, get those weird looks for yeah totally now like you have you have packets and powders and just shows how how mainstream health and wellness has become and so whether it's you know a packet of emergency or an airborne or or you know one of these uh, athletic uh, based companies making a hydration product you're right no one bats an eye on it uh, there and no one really no one really even really questions like why are you drinking that. Right. Like they, they kind of know like, oh, you know, he's he's trying to hydrate. He's trying to get his vitamin C if it's an emergency, which is kind of a hydration product as well, because there's always electrolytes in there. Uh, so. So, yeah, hydration's in a good space. Uh, performance nutrition in general is in a really good spot right now. It's been the fastest growing category in, in brick and mortar uh, retail for supplements for two years in a row. At least I, I haven't gone back further than that to check. Uh, but it's it's something that's you know that companies and consumers are really looking for. Wait, so what you just mentioned performance nutrition? Like, are you talking about pre workouts now or? Uh, performance nutrition includes pre workouts, uh, hydration products, creatine, kind of that other category. That's a smaller category that doesn't contribute as much to the growth. Uh, but those are kind of the, the th three core ones. We do protein powders as a separate category. We're just still doing healthy as well. Uh, but those are the core performance supplement categories gotcha. and intro workouts as well. Does so performance like nutrition include energy drinks? Because I know that some places will split up energy drinks from like your ghost energy versus your Red Bull and Monster. I know that that is usually split up a little bit. So we categorize categorize a lot of the energy drinks in energy drinks. And so when I present on sports nutrition in general, I include energy drinks as well as sports drinks. So things like Gatorade or Prime is the new one that's kind of taken off. Uh, but as far as like a sports supplements, they're usually not included. You know, some of the shots are, uh, but most of the canned most of the canned drinks. I want to say most because 
I, I, if there's a few that are really positioned as pre-workouts, they might be in there. Uh, but a lot of them, as they've made their way to mainstream, and it's really a genius way to do so, is they position as energy drinks instead. So they would be in that energy drink space, uh, you know, with with the Red Bulls and the Monsters, uh, because it's really competition there now. And it's ha but it has to be included when we talk about sports and active nutrition as a whole, because of how much market share. You know, I today I had a, a can of Rise, the, the ready to drink for my pre-workout. I skipped my powdered pre-workout product for today. And so many people are doing that now, uh, whether they're, you know, buying from these brands that are specifically positioned as a pre-work, as a sports nutrition product that move to a canned ready to drink. Uh, or, you know, I know a lot of people who have their monster now, now that they're used to the kind of the canned drinks, they might go towards something like that. Or even some of these coffees, canned coffee products that are, are, you know, are up in their caffeine content, they're really making a play in the space as well. So I, I want to talk about brands for a second, because there's a couple brands that play in this kind of playing field. That's the, the higher level that uh, I think people will sleep on a decent amount. Uh, one that I saw on your screen was my protein, your, your bottle that you picked up my protein, uh, the hug group, they, I don't think they get enough attention for literally how widespread they are, how much they do. Is that something that you guys track? Is I, mean, I think my protein kind of just gets seen as well. They've had a couple good pre-workouts, but they're actually quite a large company, especially in the UK. Uh, could you talk to us a little bit about them? And so we don't we track uh, U.S. data. Okay. Uh, and you know, my protein, I believe, is mostly you know UK, and then also on their on their own website here in the U.S. Uh, so I don't have too much insights to them. I I do know. You know they they do do a lot of a lot of sales. They are a very large company, as you mentioned, and often overlooked uh, because I think uh, their lack of of kind of footprint in the U.S. Even though I'm sure they do a ton of sales through their website. Yeah, that's it's kind of funny because people I think kind of under overlook them because especially because it's very UK heavy. But they, I mean, they are in a lot of locations. The other one that I want to talk about is uh, Nutribolt. You talked about actual canned pre-workouts they're on the go c4 um people drink it like an energy drink but it's got 3.2 grams of beta alanine uh which i think is pretty funny because that'll actually make you itch your face off if you're not used to that um but they also have uh smart energy which is a you know beta alanine free but they have a little bit of cytocholine in there which is really great for actual actual focus uh how are you seeing nutribolt growing in america especially post uh Keurig dr pepper yeah, that that's a great brand. First of all, that might be my favorite. That's one of my favorite energy drinks. I like them. I like Celsius a lot. Um, I like some of the the more natural ones. But their line is so they're so innovative. One, they they are like the kind of the flagship free workout. You know, when I was in high school and college, it was them and Jacked, and right before them, there was Eno Explode, and like that was like like really like staples of the industry. And to see C four still out here innovating and Nutribolt. You know, they're hitting on a lot of trends. They were one of the first, you know, they moved, not moved from, but added to their product lines, you know, ready to drink shots. Then there was the C4 on the go. You remember, I think it was like their eight ounce bottle drinks. And remember, that was at a time when people thought that pe that people working out didn't want uh, carbonated drinks because, you know, it wasn't good for working out. And now everyone realized that no one cares about that, actually. <laughs> and so then they then, you know, they, along with a lot of other people, introduced the carbonated can and then smart energy to, to hit on, you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, nootropic, the 
you know, people are really into focus and cognition benefits. So I think they're, they're really in a good place uh, to, I mean, they're doing great right now, their energy drinks, and that they're getting huge distribution. And I think they're in a good place to carve out even more market share. And I think they, they recently did a reform, uh, I think they're, I'm not, not saying that's the shrinkflation, but I believe they're going to a smaller can for the uh, smart energy. I think I saw that, but keeping the same amount of caffeine in there. Yeah, that's uh, not some, shrinkflation and, then. <laughs> so it's not shrinkflation then. I don't, I'm not accusing them of shrinkflation. Uh, so I think that that they are they are in a position to to do well. They're also hitting on some of those other trends. You hit you mentioned that Ghost kind of started with the flavor uh, partnerships uh, and a lot of their C4 cans. And so so I, yeah, that's a great example of them. And to your point, you know, one of them their yellow cans a clear pre workout formula, uh, but people love it as an energy drink. And so, you know, it really shows the kind of the cross, the crossover appeal to it. Yeah. It's okay. Cool. I got, I got to rewind. Sorry, Ben. Got to do it. Oh, do it. So, yeah, go <laughs> no, I know who saw us on YouTube. Uh, I darted over to my web browser and I'm pretty sure that it's not a full 3.2 grams of beta alanine in the regular C4 can. Although the C4 ultimate carbonated, that's like the, the black and gray can. That one does have 3.2 grams of beta alanine. So yeah, I think a lot of people do love those those regular yellow, more yellow cans with the two that's 200 milligrams of caffeine, probably, I don't, I don't think they have a number on it, probably around one and a half, 1.6 grams of beta alanine, which most people can get by with without having a super itchy face. Although like, on occasion that dose will get yeah, you. I still get the tingles from it. If you're not used to it, it's going to, it's a, quite the surprise. Yeah, it's Cellicor is interesting because I mean they've kind of been all over this conversation. Like you're gonna see like the yellow pre-workout tubs in like a Walmart, for instance, and and how brands approach getting into Walmart or if they should even get into Walmart is always kind of a an issue because like you know you'll get more people into your ecosystem, but are they gonna be the right people? Are you gonna have to make an inferior product, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. So it's always a it's always a fun conversation to have when we're talking about Walmart. I kind of thought about you know, this product versus that product. And it's good to remind, and it's good for a brand like Cellucor to occasionally get out there and remind everyone, Hey, you know, we do have this black and gray can that's got, you know, full 300 milligrams of caffeine, full 3.2, uh, you know, gram dose of geek beta alanine too. So they do, they, they do a good job of hitting everything, even though, you know, sometimes people will tease, uh, tease on the C4 pre-workout and everything. So uh, like I said, there's there's channel strategies that work. Uh, so figuring out like the same channel strategy that works for them in Walmart isn't gonna probably isn't gonna right. work in in Vitamin Shop or you know some a different channel. Uh, so it's it's you know as long as you're you're uh, focused on specific channels, you know you have different strategies. There's you know a lot of opportunities to be successful there. Yeah, I I have to give a quote to Josh Shaw, who you'll be talking with at the summit. Uh, he he always says that products are built to fit channels. Channels do not fit products. And as much as, you know, like as an athlete and a thought leader that wants full doses and everything that really pisses me off, like he's absolutely right. Like channels, like if you put a product in Walmart and it's, you know, a premium product, you're not going to sell as much as if you have a product that's going to obviously uh, appeal to your normal demographic that's walking through Walmart. If you're like us, you know, if even if like, it's, it's kind of funny, Scott, that you are like, you know, so sports nutrition minded because like, if you're a person that's going to be looking a lot more at the widespread industry, you're going to be a little bit more understanding of that. And I, I do think that also we're in an age of uh, information overload, honestly, where like consumers are now bombarded with so much information and there's so much education that like people kind of lose the uh, 
concept of like what really should be looking to do to just be better than yesterday rather than like needing to be perfect on every single ingredient every single day um so i guess I, one of the things i wanted to kind of hit on with you is this bit of concept like the widespread education like we're an education uh you know podcast and channel and everything have you i know you might not track this but have you seen that affect sales are you, are you seeing transparency or education or content like are you seeing anything with that on your side with without like having specific data points on it i can tell you uh just empirically yes yeah and so one of the things that that you can really kind of point to is kind of when the pandemic started, there was a huge increase in new supplement users in general and functional food ones. And, you know, there's a whole other topic I'd love to get into on how, you know, what you mentioned is that, you know, not every product is, you know, for a channel, not the other way around. And that's where a lot of, uh, but sports nutrition has always been kind of an innovation hub. Like you see all these functional products in, in grocery stores of all sizes, of all channels that are now incorporating, you know, concepts that were around only in sports nutrition, you know, not too long ago. And so that is an innovation hub. So, so I'd love to, we can, we can get back into that, but to your uh, original question, which I already forgot because I was talking too much. Remind me, what was the original just, question? Uh, just the, the link between education and, and content and, and sales, like I, I specifically, but doesn't have to specifically, but like, we're talking about like channels being made for certain products rather than products being made for channels education has had an impact on that because people like blatantly will make fun of c4 because it's not the leading innovation of the hub and and it's it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning where the leading innovation isn't fit for mass uh people like i always talk about you know the ingredients that are doing well in mass uh are going to be kind of that initial ingredient that you think about for a category so if i tell you you know what ingredient do you think about with sleep supplements? You would say melatonin. Melatonin, of course. So that's why this, that's why it's going to be the top selling uh, ingredient in mass. Now there's room for other ingredients in the sleep space to kind of build awareness and education, usually online and usually in specialty stores with you know an edu educated staff that would help it. And then you know slowly, once it became becomes more recognizable, they could get they get some market share either in sleep formulas that can also include melatonin or a standalone and carve out their market share. So when you're in mass, you know, it's, it's not always a good opportunity to be, uh, you know, the cutting edge of, of innovation, especially because it's very competitive in there as well. So if, if you get off to a slow start, you might get off, kicked off the shelf and, and never come back uh, because they already tried you. So in that sense, you know, going to the places where education is so key to build up your brand awareness, uh, your brand education, you know, partnering with, uh, you know, we see a lot of the, uh, I know your dirty word, influencers pushing products. And whether that education is always correct or not, you know, they're still f getting information on products that way. You know, I'd love to see, you know, great greater education on some of those but uh you know it's it's getting noticed that way and we saw you know at the beginning of the pandemic you know when when we saw this increase in supplement users it got people interested so was, first it was immune supplements then we saw these like immune adjacent supplements things like sleep stress relief uh mood support things like that and then it shifted one more. Now people are looking at overall wellness. And so now we're into the performance nutrition, the cognitive support, uh, hydration, things like that. 
And so as people get into more of the functional foods and supplements, there's such a gray area between functional foods and supplements. Uh, I don't, I don't even like to distinguish anymore. It's really just the vehicle for delivery um, on the things. Uh, so, but the more that they're into it, the more that they're going to find different education sources. You know, we always say, we used to talk about omni-channel. So, you know, some things are online, some things are in store, some things are on your phone, but it's really just one channel right now. Like how many times have you been at a store, you see a product and you pull out your phone to research it? Uh, so it's it's not like the people who are shopping in store, they're not looking online, even when they're in the store. And so having that product content available, both on your label, uh, you know, hitting the, the key points, but also making sure that your product attributes are easily searchable online, whether that's your website, Amazon, a different, you know, the retailer's website, you know, that's so key for brands to get their message across. And it allows them to take ownership in the education because, you know, on their, on their webpage, on their, uh, on, even on Amazon the retailer, it's really, you can put a lot of information on there. And so it's a way to have ownership of it rather than trying to put a hundred different things on the product label, which now, you know, we, we see a lot, most consumers think that if you have more than three certifications or label claims, maybe it's just confusing. You're trying to do too much. And so understanding your core consumer, which goes to the original point, you know, gathering that data um, on your consumers and knowing which which claims are most important to them, what education you think will be relevant to them, that's going to be the way to maximize kind of your sell story. I love all that. I've always felt that um, if you can simplify all this stuff into just simply what kind of uh, effect are you trying to elicit on a, on a consumer and deliver on that? I 100% believe, and this is ironic for what we do, I think you can over-educate over consumers. You know, if you start throwing all these claims, blah, 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 like just say, specifically to pre-workout because i think it's the most stereotypical thing here you're gonna work out you're gonna have a better workout you know you might have a better pump a little bit more focus i I, th I think that one of the reasons that brands that win uh win is because they don't focus on trying to tell you 17 different uh ingredients and it's funny because like in retrospect we'll look back and see some of these companies using ingredients kind of early on in those channels that worked very well but they didn't spend a lot of time like this ingredient is clinically studied to do and I think a lot of consumers that are overeducated make fun of that. But when you really think about it, the reason that people are going to this, the maybe the sports nutrition section of Walmart is because they're intimidated by GNC, but they want something that is simply going to make their, their workout better. Yeah, I, I have sellucore.com still on my on my uh, browser too. here. You got three icons for original pre-workout, C4 original pre-workout, explosive energy, muscular endurance, and then pump booster. Like. There you go. There's your six words. You're done. And then it's a huge amount of yellow, white, yellow space above it. That just like draws the eye. So obviously they've, they, they don't just put out a label without like doing some homework and stuff. That's all they got. And that obviously sells very well. It was on one of your LinkedIn's. I saw a recent post on pre-workouts where it's like more isn't always better. And, you know, it's, it's so true, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a nerd about it too. I'm always looking for like kind of the latest and greatest ingredient. What's the optimal dose? Is it affecting absorption of a different ingredient? Stuff like that. But the people uh, who like you refer to as overeducated, it's such a small fraction of a, of a small percentage of, of consumers. And so to, it, again, if you want to build, if you want to be big in like a, a small niche, uh, maybe that's something you look into, but but to be mainstream, you know, hitting on a few points, 
uh, you know, I'm not saying to avoid new and novel ingredients altogether, uh, but it, it might not be necessary for you to become the, you know, a top 10 pre-workout, for example. I just think that the goal should be that if you hand this, you know, sketchy white powder to someone and they mix it, they drink it. If it tastes good, it feels good, and it gives them something, like that's going to be the first step. But if in order to get that into someone's hands and convince them to drink it, you have to give them 74 different clinical studies where, you know, it's double-blind placebo-controlled and, and everything's great. It's just, it's to me, it's funny because all three of us here are nerds, and we could talk about in-depth stuff. And it's funny because I'm probably losing viewers right now because I'm saying this because all of our viewers think that everything needs to have, you know, name seven different dosages. You could joke... We, you could talk about stereotypical dosages right now, but as long as it delivers on those things, that's going to be the most important thing. And we consistently have brands that hate on C4 because of this or hate on, but like the fact of the matter is like C4 is one of the biggest brands that we have to thank for, for the success of pre-workout overall, because they were able to deliver on those things. You might not like their, their dosages, but I, I think nine out of 10 people, if they took a product off the shelf of Walmart or whatever, and just drank it, they'd have a better workout than if they didn't. Yeah, like I mentioned before, they're kind of they're a legendary pre-workout. Like kind of they changed they were part of that that group that was changing the category. And so, you know, I honest to be perfectly honest, I haven't used C4 outside of the drinks in a very long time. So I, I'm not even sure, you know, exactly what the formula looks like right now. But I, I would de definitely agree to you, someone who's trying pre-workout for the first time, you know, probably wouldn't be disappointed if they took that off the shelf, had a scoop of it. Uh and when I went to the gym, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think every, it, it goes back to knowing your your customer and knowing the value propositions that your brand provides. Just because you're an energy drink doesn't mean you're competing with, you know, the Red Bulls of the world, right? We've seen different types of energy drinks carve out different niches. The same things for, you know, the same things for pre-workout, the same things for hydration products. You know, it's not, there. there's markets within markets, uh, there's different channel strategies. And so, you, you know, you, you should really focus on a few of your key competitors that are in that space rather than just maybe in the the larger department area. Guys, totally. is anyone still drinking Red Bull? I, I, I'm just thinking as we're talking, like, I know I'm, I'm sure the numbers are still large. I I don't think I've seen a single Red Bull out in the wild. And I'm, I'm not like Mr. Social out there. Was that just basically vodka, right? Only like, if it's mixed with vodka. Yeah. yeah I don't <laughs> think I've seen Red Bull in, in literally I, like two I believe years. that I don't have the data in front of me, but I, I I can confidently tell you there's still a top selling energy drink out there. Okay. Gotcha. Um, it's, it's, so it's I don't think, I mean, they're seeing, you're seeing not the growth that you're seeing from some of these uh, more performance energy type of drinks. You know, Celsius is one of those. That's that's a you know what they've been doing the past couple of years has been incredible. I know Alani's another one. You know that that's really gained a lot of market share. Uh, you know, really quickly as well. Uh, but yes, people are still drinking Red Bulls. They're coming out with some new of those like limited edition flavors that I believe are doing well. Uh, to your point, I don't think. I don't think anyone's taken their role in Red Bull Vodka's uh, uh, session there, and then C stores and things like that. Uh, I, I won't write. I won't be betting against Red Bull. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Sometimes, like like Ben said, we get stuck in our own little echo chamber. We're like, oh, it doesn't have a grab of carnitine. I can't drink it. You know. But obviously, um, <laughs> what's really funny too is like like we all we all freak out like uh, how much caffeine you drink per day. Red Bull is like incredibly low in caffeine yeah. per milliliter. Like if you actually look back, I think those normal, what are they, the 12 ounce cans have what, like 87 milligrams of caffeine? Only 80, which, 80, which I always I was... thought was, 
that's that's pretty that was a yeah, big deal back in the day you guys were probably too young but you know, so yeah it it kind of happened i remember that when it was when i was around college like no one was doing caffeine it, it's something obviously has changed you know metabolically or the, the you know we've switched from nicotine to caffeine possibly um but i remember we would go out and i had these like caffeine energy mints that we would that we would take before drinking and stuff and um this was around 2000 2001 and then um all of a sudden this red bull vodka thing popped up and i was like son of a bitch i used to do caffeine with my with my alcohol as well and then it just turned into this huge thing and now here we are talking about 300 milligrams at a time can i take you know two of those or should i stop at 400 500 milligrams a day like obviously something's changed and the same thing goes uh and that's what i was going to ask you getting back to hydration um okay so i have, I have two kind of like comments questions scott is so on the caffeine note is is caffeine getting saturated like are, I don't think people are going to be doing that much more caffeine per day or like that's kind of, and we're seeing a little bit more stim free stuff happening is, 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 are, is the overall caffeine consumption going up or are they we're just shifting between products now? Like at some point we can't be, not everyone's be doing like a gram of caffeine a day. Are we, are we saturating there? Uh, I'll tell you looking at the categories that contain the most caffeine. So things like pre-workouts, energy drinks, uh, ready to drink coffees, things like that. Those are all continuing to do well. Uh, we, and we see not exclusively, but for the most part, a lot of the entrants uh, are fairly high in caffeine, uh, you know, between 180 all the way up to 300. Mm -hmm. I don't think you're seeing many mainstream energy drinks or pre-workouts that are going to be mainstream have more than 300, although you guys probably know better than, than me. Uh, that being said, 300 milligrams is a lot of caffeine for most people. That's that's way too much for me in a day. Uh, and so uh, to your point, I think there is an increase in stim-free pre-workouts, but I don't know if I would associate that with them avoiding caffeine or if they're just getting their caffeine from other sources. And so from their pre-workout, they're looking just for uh, different pump ingredients or, or whatever it is there. And... There, there's a few things. I agree with you. I think we can't just go on drinking more caffeine all the time. Uh, one, it's opened up the market and contributed to the market that we're seeing a lot for these rest and relaxation drinks. Um, so that used to be, you know, supplement only kind of like again, melatonin, whatever. Uh, now there's a lot of, of rest and relaxation drinks. I think that's contributed one to a decrease in alcohol consumption amongst, you know, millennials and Gen Zers. But also, I think, you know, if people are drinking so much caffeine, there's caffeine in, you know, different food products, you know, shots, drinks, pre-workout supplements, hydration plus Coffee, uh, yep. caffeine, protein plus caffeine, uh, you know, this and that. Now the, the teas are high caffeine, the coffees are high caffeine. Don't forget about regular coffee. And so that, with all that caffeine, you know, people are looking for that kind of uh, relaxation state. Uh, you know, that's one of, the, one of, not the only, but one of the reasons we saw ashwagandha become such a huge ingredient the past couple of years as something that people were turning to for, for kind of rest and relaxation. And when so- you, Real quick, when you say rest and relaxation drinks, are you meaning actual RTD bottles that have liquid correct. or powders as well? Okay. Uh, well, well, both. Uh, we've seen it in supplement form, but also, you know, in ready to drinks, there's now, you know, people looking, I, I always think that they're looking for a drink that still gives them kind of a special feeling. And, and if they're not drinking alcohols, their nightcap, 
Uh, they might go to one of these adaptogen drinks or nootropic drinks that still kind of makes them, them, you know, alter their feeling a little bit, feels like they're still drinking something special and unique, uh, but it's not alcohol. It's, it might be more uh, just positioned that way. And you saw that with CBD drinks for, for a little bit as well. And so I think that is one of the reasons that that category continues to grow as well. Uh, but I'm also always looking for, and I don't think it'll be mainstream anytime soon, but like what other energy products can realistically uh, swap caffeine out of? Uh, like, so I'd be curious if you guys have any ideas, you know, is it, is it tea cream or is it, um, <laughs> I may have said that wrong. I'm sorry. Is it, is it no, some no, other no. one? Uh, that that we can at least reduce the amount of caffeine in, but still fear like that, you know, CNS uh, energy boost. Well, uh, I, I have we've we have very good news for you, Scott. So, <laughs> in in twenty twenty two, there was an ingredient launched called Infinity. Uh, it is a yep. patented yes, yeah, so, so you know about it. Uh, Paraxanthine, which is a metabolite of caffeine. Uh, the simplest way to, to discuss this on the podcast, if you already know about it, and mo multiple of our, our viewers will probably know a lot about it already, is that it, it is the best metabolite of caffeine. When you consume caffeine, you produce three metabolites, theophylline, theobromine, and paraxanthine. Theobromine, I don't have any kind of beef with, but theophylline especially raises heart rate, blood pressure, gives you like some of that uh, unnecessary jitteriness. Uh, and paraxanthine is kind of like the best of those metabolites, gives you all the benefits without really a lot of the bad products. Um Episode 72, if you want to do the deep dive there. So we uh, we have already found it in pre-workouts. Uh, Muscle Tech has launched it there. Uh, there was one RTD can that came out with it. Uh, it is not exactly going crazy, but it does exist in the market. Uh, and we do know that there are open... Can you, can you say which one it is or no? Off the top of my head, I really feel bad, but I gotcha. can't. I can't. Uh, Mike might be able to find it I while don't, he's searching. No, yeah. I uh, there, there were some issues with the, the the cans as they were coming out being like over carbonated and stuff. I haven't heard much Ooh. about them in a little bit, but <laughs> that's fun. Yeah, no offense to anyone who who likes it or whatever distributes it, but uh, I know there are open exclusivities for other things like uh, weight management and gaming and stuff. So there, there's a lot of opportunities there. Um, in our experience, it's an awesome ingredient. It is the. It is clean compared to caffeine. You know, when uh, have you taken it uh, by itself and felt this way, or was it in combination with caffeine as a I've, whole? I've got hundreds of capsules. I, 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 yeah, I love taking this stuff instead of caffeine. And I, you go back to caffeine, and you're like, oh, this is like a dirtier feeling. It's more robust. You feel the other stuff going on. And and believe me, I still, you know, you, you said three hundreds a lot of caffeine, and I was like, wow, I really need to check myself. But you know, I I, I consume a lot of caffeine, but I. I would much prefer to consume this, and I'm really looking forward to a RTD market where it's easier to find Infinity in C stores, in Walmart, in you know, because you know I, I get stuff sent to me from manufacturers, but it's always really nice to all stop at CVS and pick up something instead of uh, having to go to my, my my doorstep and wait for a package. Yeah, it, it it'll be it'll be interesting to see if it if it plays into the the drinks and can tone people off of caffeine a little bit. It definitely uh. It is more toned down. It's it's a cleaner feeling. So like, uh, if you like a 250 milligram pre workout of ca of caffeine, you're probably gonna want about 300 milligrams of of Infinity Parazanthine. So if you want like similar ish feelings, but a lot of times you could use it to kind of wean yourself down off the caffeine or not get like it's it's got a lot of the benefits without the cons. So, um, but but as of right now, I'd say it's like definitely unless you were manually, you know, and and it wouldn't be a bad like case study internally for you to. Uh, 
to like manually create a little category of just here's these paraxanthin based products um and watch the guys at ing too then you could uh you probably wouldn't have noticed a blip on your radar just yet but it'll it would be interesting for you to manually track anything that has that stuff because um maybe there will be opportunities for growth i'm I, we're not i'm not sure how the grocery you know the how the like the shelves how it's going to work at like a sprouts for instance or if it's ready for be, that. I'm curious to know if it's uh you know an ingredient that's allowed in grocery products yet uh or or not and then um do you know mike offhand? i don't know I, I haven't seen any any grass filings or anything so i don't GNC know has uh okay so that means it is uh okay at least self-affirmed grass uh, gnc has some of the most <laughs> uh they're they're very very strict about ingredients there mm -hmm. but i mean it, you know they're not grocery yet so i i, I do yeah. think we'll see it in 2024 i don't know about 2023 it's really exciting uh it's, it's, you know especially uh i guess the price point caffeine's that's still a very cheap ingredient uh and and surprise it works so it keeps it keeps uh keeps coming back but yeah i'm always interested you know what can is there a product that could take its place maybe maybe this is it uh and not it's obviously caffeine will never go away please no you know, i mean don't don't <laughs> quote me on that one but you know if you if, want if there's me another to like... stimulant option that, that kind of elicits a similar feeling for a lot of people okay i'm gonna have one it's not gonna happen but in my opinion okay i'm gonna be bearish on this but people fixing their metabolisms to the point where we don't need to be bouncing around on 500 milligrams of caffeine a day um but that's very tough because then basically to do that you need to remove a lot of like basically all processed foods and in this society i just don't i'm not optimistic that a vast majority of people are going to do that but the information is out there if you um and i i've currently removed just a couple more things and i've got i'm getting my caffeine down as we speak so it's kind of an exciting time um what's your caffeine level at if you don't mind sharing so i am right now just at the 400 milligrams a day mark which is every day um, yes pretty much and so that's that's like kind of like the 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 safe quote unquote max like if you look at that health canada and stuff yep. um i was definitely above that and realized i needed to get it down and so i uh yeah so i'm 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 moving it down before this podcast i only did like 80 milligrams of caffeine i did like an old old school red bull so that's that's low for me on this oh well, there you so, go ben we know people are drinking the red bull <laughs> I, didn't, yeah. I'm not drinking. I never like that flavor um and then i don't know if this is going to happen but um, I think that there's going to be a slight, there's a possibility of people getting back to, um, natural tobacco smoking, like not cigarettes, not vaping or anything, but actually like the, the American spirit, like actual roll in your own, roll in your own tobacco. I think that that's been kind of, um, attacked more than it should have been and that there are more benefits than people want to discuss about that. And I think that that is an alternative for a lot of people who are feeling broken. And that's, that's my personal opinion. That is not the opinion of maybe a lot of people out there, but I, I think that, uh, I think that nicotine and tobacco, like natural tobacco products got thrown under the bus alongside of like alongside with the processed cigarettes. And I think there is a different, uh, a difference. And I think some people do better with nicotine. I don't think we're going to see actual smoking come back, but I do think that we'll see nicotine in a lot of places. Nicotine has been on the, on the rise for a little bit now. Okay. And, and we've had a whole bunch of, you know, biohacker uh, influencers talk a lot about the, the possibility of, you know, gums, uh, tabs, uh, all sorts of alternative uh 
consumption ways. I, I think, especially with vaping, we saw a lot of people like see the ability of, to, to use specifically nicotine as a nootropic. And I think a lot of people are hooked on that. I've gotten away from it. I really enjoyed it for a long time. But I think at the end of the day, I, th I think society in general has pushed back on just the combustion factor. Like you got smoke and I, I it's not very easy to smoke cigarettes in public anymore. Um, and it's also generally seen as kind of disgusting now. Like people yeah, don't want to yeah. be around people who smell like smoke. Uh, but I think nicotine itself, just in the last week, ironically, I've seen a lot of TikToks talking about nicotine for, you know, as a stimulant, as a nootropic, as, as a lifestyle product. Um, but I, I just, you know, I, I don't think we're ever going to get rid of caffeine. I don't think we're ever going to get rid of nicotine. Uh, generally speaking, humans have always used things from the environment as uh, performance enhancers. You know, as far back as Vikings used to chew on rhodiola before they went into battle or they ate mushrooms and tripped on the way. But we've always used nature in some way. Um, and, well, I don't know if we're using nature because it's all synthetic caffeine at this point. But we've always yeah. had environmental factors that we would use. I mean... Caffeine seems like it's really high right now because we're getting it in these like super, super um, processed, but also uh, you know, designed cans and they're, 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 they're bright and they're cool and everything. But like, I mean, growing up, my mom drank like two freaking thermoses of caf of coffee, like per mm -hmm. day, you know, like, and I think and this is just my, I, I, I differ from Mike on this one, but I think we've underestimated the amount of caffeine that we've consumed for a long time, just because it wasn't in a consumer package. Good. Like, oh, okay. Like, I, I, I won't argue with that because like, I mean, like, I don't know about your family, but like, I, I, I remember seeing people drink like pots of coffee, like, mm -hmm. like just straight up pots and pots and pots. <laughs> and like, you go to Starbucks, you pick up a, like a, what a, I don't speak their language, a venti. And that's like 450 milligrams of caffeine. There's a lot of caffeine in that stuff. I, I just think that people haven't considered the amount of caffeine in coffee because coffee is seen as natural. It's bean water. You know, it's, you can't like count the caffeine in there, but you put it in, I'm looking at this C4 can here. Like this, it's, it's bright. It's, it's, you know, right. you can see all of it. And it, like, there's, there's no way that's healthy. Look at it. It's got artificial colors and, and whatever. Mm -hmm. I think we maybe just didn't have that with, with coffee. Right. Well, yeah. And uh, so the, the natural caffeine thing, I think has definitely made a comeback in a lot of these drinks, like the ghost, for instance. Um, and, and I, I do like that. I want to dig more into like, how is synthetic caffeine really made anyway? But well, there was a whole idea. Rogan episode on that. Yeah, I, I know. Remember. We wrote about that with, and uh, so we talked about encaged uh, pure calf article. We kind of linked back to that. I don't really have any like actual studies showing the synthesis. You know, a lot of times you can figure out how fit things are synthesized by looking at the studies. I don't have anything on, on that one, but maybe it's out there, but he was talking about it being from a uh, natural gas. So like, that's uh, I, I don't know. Don't, don't quote me on that just yet, but um. Well, oh, so yeah, but in 2006, I uh, went to Costa Rica, visit my buddy, and we stayed at this at the, the family's home that he was staying at. And this woman, the older Costa Rican lady, she made the strongest coffee on the planet. And like, she, I didn't see her drink any water whatsoever. She was just drinking this coffee. 24 7 didn't she seem fine <laughs> but she, she drank no water that was her only liquid is this strong ass coffee so uh yeah i think you might be right then so maybe there's maybe there's no limit maybe maybe we're all just speculating <laughs> for that woman there wasn't well, coffee <laughs> has, has a lot of other polyphenols in it which are like are very much associated with longer life and uh, man i hate this whole like appeal to nature fallacy but like when you remove all of that and you shove it in a can it's just caffeine on its own it's a very different drug honestly mm -hmm. um well, I called it a drug. I hate calling. Well, I mean, like drugs, okay, but... caffeine, we're, we're way off topic, but caffeine is basically it's chemical warfare by the 
plants. Like it's it's an insect it's an insecticide for the plants. But like so, a lot of people are like, oh, dude, you're drinking you're drinking poison. It's like maybe for the insect it's a poison, but for humans, it's very very well demonstrated that this stuff increases performance. So in my opinion, is like, hey, this is a plant that was smart enough, quote unquote, smart enough to evolve this thing that not only killed the insects, but enticed us to like want to work with it rather than try to destroy it like poison ivy or something. So um, my screen just went blank. But yeah, so that's my that that's my personal take on that with with the whole chemical warfare thing. But that doesn't mean we probably we, we do sometimes drink unnatural amounts of it. Like if you're drinking a gram a day. Yeah, I I think it's time to tone down personally, but you don't have mm -hmm. to. <laughs> yeah, but I think it goes back to <laughs> trying to big trying to bring this full circle. Uh, I think it goes back to it works. Uh, people people enjoy it, you know. And now they have all these different opportunities. What vehicle they want to deliver their caffeine in, and so uh, I I imagine like it it gives rise to these other categories. It's not going away, but I do think there's opportunity, and maybe it's maybe it's in the the compound that that you mentioned uh, for another stimulant uh to take some market share for people who are looking to avoid caffeine mm -hmm. uh, but i would like to get you guys uh one of the things i'm really bullish on and i've been talking about this for this year is that creatine's potential to go mainstream here uh you know i think that with a lot of the you know research coming out around cognitive health uh you know some of the introduction again to women uh who have historically avoided creatine because they all thought that they'd be bulky uh, by using creatine. I think all the ingredients are there. Uh, you know, if, again, it's a very studied, safe, and very studied, effective ingredient. I think all the ingredients are are there for this to kind of boom in the mainstream this year. Uh, so you know, the, our data supports it. I believe it was up a hundred percent in mainstream channels uh, last year, which I think is just scratching the surface. Uh, but it'd be you know, would love to get your guys' opinion on, on do you concur with me there? Are you, do you guys feel differently? What are your guys' thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I so what, with, what, Scott, you might not be familiar with Mike and, and my dynamic. I'm very much like the social media watch guy, and and, and Mike uh, doesn't spend as much time on like TikTok and stuff. But uh, I saw a lot of trends in 2022 of mainstream consumers talking about you know quote unquote niche ingredients. So we saw tyrosine, uh, but we, we we saw a lot of uh, creatine. There was this really wild weird trend of women sharing that creatine specifically grows your glutes um it was the weirdest thing it was and figure, I, huh? yeah and i hated that i had to like talk about this because it's like you know i think everyone would be better if we all worked on our glutes it's literally linked to longevity but um i i 100 agree with you i 100 believe that and this goes back to consumer education we are starting to dispel the myth around creatine like we would all be a little better if we carried a little bit more starting muscle mass to. If we all took creatine, I mean, it's funny because like I still have to say like, you know, creatine doesn't it's, it's not going to wring out your freaking kidneys. It's not going to, you know, log you with water. It doesn't matter what type you take. Monohydrate is going to be the most studied and effective, uh, you know, like like all of the myths. I still have to dispel every here and there. But everyone that I know through our channel is taking creatine and that's becoming a lot more mainstream. Uh, I do believe it's going to take a little bit to get it to the point where it's being sold, you know, mainstream, mainstream, because what I call mainstream is not Scott Dicker's mainstream, obviously, but I 100 percent, I 100 percent believe that. I think that uh, education is is disseminating 
disseminating very, very well. And people are starting to not worry about it. But that all being said, last month, I was at my state capitol fighting for kids to be able to even buy it. So there are other forces at work for sure. Yeah, my answer um, is yes and no. So here is, I agree, and it should be, because especially as the agenda is is going against meat eating. Let's let's just call it what it is. Um, if you're not eating two pounds, I'm gonna say like one and a half to two pounds, maybe more, depending on your size of actual muscle meat per day, you should be supplementing creatine. And most people are not eating that much, and they should be supplementing creatine. As we get more and more people who are turning towards um plant-based diets and low protein diets and nutrient deficient diets. Creatine is one of the many things that should be taken. So uh, I, I I think that yes, we should. Now I will also say though, that if you start seeing it go super mainstream, like I don't think you're ever going to see USA today.com and CNN, CNN.com like flipping after 25 years of attacking this, this natural molecule, I don't think you're ever going to see them change their ways. And they are not, they're going to, I would think that they are going to continue attacking. So if you do, and I pray that you do, if we see creatine go mainstream to the point where like my mom is asking me about it at the, at the grocery store and she's a boomer and is, 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 you know, they're talking about it at their retirement community or whatever, then we have won. And I don't think that's the best thing ever. Um, but don't think for a second that like that the the forces that have been acting against us for literally more than two decades are going to just turn on a dime. Now the grocery stores might because they want to make money. You know they'd rather they'd rather make the creatine sale than than send people to Amazon. But at the same time, um, when you talk about mainstream, I think mainstream media and I think these people never never change their opinion on creatine. Um, but it is our job to defeat that and tell people if you're not going to eat a lot of meat, which I think you should do then you should supplement this and probably a lot of other things. Boom. <laughs> All right, then. So I guess I guess we, we agree on creatine being big. Um, well, yeah, I want it to be. I, I, I like the, co- yeah. the cognition oh, thing that you brought up about the, oh, yeah, the studies right. on cognition. I, I got to give you some credit for knowing about that because that, at least in my eyes, that has been uh, kind of like a carefully guarded secret of a bunch of formulators for some reason. Like it's pretty well demonstrated that it, it not only does it help out with the muscle mass, but it helps out with cognition, which I, I honestly just think the whole thing is interlinked. You get you get healthier overall. You're gonna be you're gonna feel a little healthier overall. Yeah, I mean it, it helps oh, you drive sorry. ATP. People don't have the precursor for ATP. They're gonna be like total rubbish. Like, and that's gonna go for mood and all those words that I don't like to say. You know, with the with those clinical issues and stuff. But you know, mood and then also just the um, cognition, memory, all those different inputs as well. So. It's it's important. Yeah, cognition and nootropics—they're big. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, those are already big now. So I think you know to get an ingredient like creatine. When I say mainstream, I mean it's it's sold in stores. Uh, it's doing really well in the stores, gaining distribution. You know, moving quickly. Uh, I, I'll let you comment on the on the media sources. <laughs> I, I have no real opinion opinion there. Uh, but you know, when we see these health focuses that are trending, if you could link these established ingredients to it, uh, you know, similar. Ashwagandha has been around forever. Uh, why did it just take off in the past couple of years? Uh, people were looking for stress release supplements, uh, ingredients, and you know, ashwagandha was one of the ones that uh, you know it's been around for a while. Uh, you know, you could talk to I haven't looked at the the research on it in a while, but you could talk to that, I'm sure. Uh, and so I think creatine has has the ability. You know, would it be nice if uh, 
you know, there wasn't all like the sentiment at the bottom. So it could be in a ready to drink a little at, at a bigger dose. I think that would help out a lot as well. Uh, but, you know, the the ingredients are there. And, you know, going back to, I think, Ben, when you said it, you know, uh, for like the aging population, you know, if they're if they can gain some like, you know, a slight but significant amount of muscle, you know, that kind of uh, protects them from falling and, and injuring themselves. Also get a little cognitive benefit uh, from what, what, you know, whatever the studies show on that. You know, it's a it's an audience that certainly has not been purchasing creatine uh, that, you know, one of the best ways to to make an established ingredient is to expand that marketplace. And it can't just be, you know, young men aren't going to make creatine, a, you know, the top ingredient. Uh, you know, yes, yeah. every young man wants to get a little bigger and stronger, uh, but that's not going to be enough to make it. It has to go, you know, cross over to women different age age brackets and the opportunities and the research seems to be pointing that way as well so that is kind of why i'm so bullish on the potential for massive growth in the next probably two three years but i think you'll continue to see it this year as well all right everyone's listening so let's uh, we're gonna start seeing a bunch of pink creatine tubs pop up and we're gonna blame <laughs> I, Scott I hope it's not pink it. and then cost a little more uh, <laughs> yeah I, no I pink tax marketed, marketed <laughs> as creatine and, and the education is there that people know I think a good comparison, and I, I want to sign this out in a, little, in a bit, but I do want to make this comparison. Is the other day I posted um, a fiber supplement. It was a gut health supplement, and someone responded, what's the difference between this supplement and Metamucil? Which is a great question because it was literally psyllium husk and oat fiber, and Metamucil is literally just psyllium husk. Mm -hmm. And and I kind of had a fun little conversation about the guy, with the guy like, it's not that far off, really, honestly. Like Most gut health supplements are not all that innovative anymore. They're kind of just taking what your mom made and makes it maybe adds a little bit of new ingredients and then puts it in a new shiny container called gut health. Right. And I think that a lot of kids don't want to take Metamucil, even though like, you know, Metamucil will work great for gut health is will absolutely help with your performance. And I don't think that's uh, creatine is going to be seen in that kind of way until it's marketed like Metamucil. Like everyone knows that, you know, some more fibers can be better for you at, at the point where we can finally say like everyone knows a little bit of more muscle mass is going to be better for you. And it's not coming from someone who looks like me. Uh, we're going to be a lot better off because obviously, you know, I love to tell people like uh, glute strength is literally directly related to longevity. Like the amount of muscle that you have in those kinds of areas is going to help with longevity. The amount of muscle mass in your neck for every, I think it is pound of muscle that's put onto your neck uh, directly relates, I think to 20% reduction in uh, concussion rate. Like muscle overall protects you from falls. It protects you from a lot of damage. And the problem is, is that guys that look like me are the only people talking about this. We need like people on abc or whatever that are just normal people saying like we all should be training a little They're bit not gonna more. do it yeah well <laughs> but hey, I, i'd love to be wrong because yeah it would be great for for public health yeah yeah so i that's how i feel about creatine is is it it shouldn't be the question shouldn't be whether or not it's a steroid it should just be is this beneficial for general public to use because I think that'll achieve what Scott's asking about for sure. Well, I mean, they've, they've gaslit it. I'm not, we don't need to go too far, but yeah, they've gaslit it so hard. Like that people are asking if it's a steroid still like that was like late nineties. No, it's like a molecule found in muscle meat. It's unbelievable. I, I, I also uh, think unfortunately social wise, like I think memes have kind <laughs> about, of, uh, yeah. you know, kept it around a little bit too long. Cause we, <laughs> cause if you search creatine on YouTube, you'll get 
27 videos of people saying like this is absolutely safe and really unfortunately price is not one of the first ones because we have so many huge influencers doing this now it's kind of ridiculous that anyone kind of keeps that that joke around um and i think that's probably one downfall of social media at this point is keeping these jokes around further like c4 like to come full circle is probably a great product these days mm -hmm. but because it's c4 and everyone joked about it for so long that's going to perpetuate Scott, yeah. Um, you, you mentioned ashwagandha. Is ashwagandha peaking? Because 2020, it did take off. It was in every product we talked about for about a, like nine months straight. Do you, do you see it peaking? I, I do see it peaking, but, or I don't want to say peaking, but more modest growth gotcha. uh, now. So I think maintaining those gain, those really incredible gains that it saw and now more modest growth. And I think the modest growth uh, to go back to an earlier point, is from moving it from strictly a supplement to functional foods. And so there's kind of that opportunity. Now, you know, so many so many people know what ashwagandha is now. Uh, so again, in a relaxation beverage that has, you know, a slew of adaptogens, ashwagandha could be kind of the key one there. Uh, and other, other functional foods, I think, is a lot of the growth segment. Uh, I do think uh, the... The triple digit growth is probably not not likely to, to continue forever. Uh, so so we already saw that with this year. I don't have the exact number in front of me, so I don't want to I don't want to misquote it. But it definitely the growth has softened a, a bit, but it's maintaining those incredible gains that that we saw the past couple of years. Gotcha. And I, I know Ben's got to get going soon. I had one question back on the hydration if we have time, but I'm not sure if you know this. What happened to make us also mineral deficient? <laughs> like that's my my big greater question. But like it seems like these hydration products have just taken off. Have they just taken away from like Gatorade's market share, or are is there like some awareness, or are we all just so magnesium broken at this point? Like what what happened? I, I'm I'm certainly not going to try and touch on the scientific aspect of it, uh, but I can tell you from a a market perspective, uh, I think yeah. I, I think it has like sports drinks were more for sports mm -hmm. and, and, you know, then people, I know, I know people who are always drinking Gatorades when they're sitting around the couch too. So I'm not, I'm not under the illusion that people weren't drinking them leisurely. <laughs> uh, but I think these, these products, you know, for a while, some of the sports drinks that, you know, it was, uh, you know, becoming kind of well known about how much sugar they had in them. And so people who are looking for, you know, good things to, to drink that tastes good, uh, you know, they, they were getting the, you know, the, the feel good of like, they were hydrating themselves. Uh, and so I think that that's where a lot of it came from. Please do not underestimate the people who were hung over looking for anything that market continues to be, you know, a strong force. And also, you know, again, it, it's, it's, you know, the softening of the market of the marketing of these products to, to being for everyone, uh, these hydration products, you know, most people, uh, you know, if nothing else, it gets them to drink a little more water, which which isn't a bad thing. And so at the very least, staying hydrated by drinking more fluids is good. Uh, these electrolyte enhancers, uh, you know, pr probably help a little bit as well. Uh, but I think just overall staying hydrated, people are cognizant of it. I, I don't know, you know, the actual health, if it's how much it's improving the average person's health who's drinking a pack of something. Uh, but the market is certainly there for it. I love it. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time, Scott. Yeah, how do we follow you? What's the what's the best way to follow you? I know you're working for a pretty big business and everything. Do you have a link? Is LinkedIn or is it Instagram? Or please connect with me on LinkedIn. Follow Spins. We put a lot of thought leadership out. 
uh, we're getting you know more into the sports nutrition segment. Uh, like I said, we put out thought leadership around the entire grocery, uh, you know, food and beverage, personal care, pet supplement space so you won't be getting just a niche sports sports nutrition uh, but i will be speaking at the nutrient ingredients sports and active nutrition summit in a couple weeks that i know you guys are, are going so i'm looking forward to see you there um, also if you're if you are a brand you know please do reach out you know we'd love to work with you help you get into new retailers help grow your business i uh, you know would love to work with you guys that way so feel free to reach out you know, my email is, yeah. are you going to post it or should I just say it? Or It's up to you. I mean, everyone can find Scott Dicker on LinkedIn. Might be the yeah, best way to go. Find, find me on LinkedIn or shoot me an email. You know, we'd love to work with you um, or even just chat depending on what stage your business is in. Uh, but I can't, I can't, I'm not in sales. So you know, I'm not just pitching it for myself. Right. Uh, but, you know, I can't underestimate how important it is to be speaking the same language as retailers and really understanding how your products are placed in the market, what differentiates you, what attributes are important to your category, and spins can help you with, with all of that. All right. Thanks so much. We'll be talking awesome. soon. Thank you again. Yeah. Awesome. Appreciate it, guys. Great to talk to you. Thanks for having me on.